Welcome to the Walla Way. This is Imran Nanlawala, and I got a very special guest with me today, Mr. Five Percent, Mr. Hudefa, Mr. Phoenix Suns himself. So, Hudefa, firstly, what is, what is this, uh, Mr. Five Percent? Is this like average growth of your investments every year? What what, what does it refer to? It's uh, first of all, Salaikum. Like uh, it's there was a basketball game once where I shot one of twenty from the field. And this was back in 2009. So ever since then, a lot of my friends would call me uh, 5%, Mr. 5%. This is like an NBA 2K game or a real game? No, this is a real game. This is a real actual game. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, we got Hudefa on today who is an Advent basketball fan. He has a uh, plethora of knowledge in terms of the game, the stats, the players, player history. But more specifically right now, we want to talk about your Phoenix Suns, brother. We want you, wanted to provide you a platform to let it all out. And uh, just talk to the fans about this latest playoff run. What seemed like, uh, uh, to me at least, it seemed like the Suns were going to take this home. That's just the feeling that I had, especially when CP3 came. CP3 came back after that first round when he got hurt against the Lakers. I thought he might have something more serious. And then Devin Booker was turning it on, and all the role players were turning it on. And we saw flashes from Aiden, who was doing great. So just overall feelings, man. Where, where are you at now with the, with the recent loss? Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, um, I'm going to state the obvious. Losing in the finals after having been the laughingstock of the NBA for the last 10 years um, is, I guess, the very definition of bittersweet. I've had more people calling to check in on me and texting me, Adham Allah Ajrakum, after the Phoenix Suns were knocked out of the finals. Um, than I did when either of my grandparents died. <laughs> mm. um, but look, um, it was a great run. Um, it was really special to witness it and watch it. And while there is some, I guess, worries about what the future may hold, and there are some regrets saying, you know, Maybe if we had done this differently. Maybe if we had done this differently. Um, I personally remain very optimistic about the future for the first time in in a while. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit in terms of the uh, player acquisitions, potential player acquisitions, free agency, re-signing players. So Chris Paul has the option to, is it to opt in or is it to get offered a new contract? Doesn't he have a one-year option right now? He has a, he has a one-year player option. Um, and I'm most likely he's going to opt out of that mm. um, just to sign a three-year deal potentially with the Phoenix Suns. Now, but my history with Chris Paul is that guy usually demands a lot of money, right? So if he gets a three-year deal, what do you, what's your gut telling you? Like how much? Because here's the thing, right? If they can get him maybe back-loaded or maybe front-loaded, it makes sense to bring him back. But it also doesn't make sense to bring him back at like a heavy cost, right? So interestingly enough, if Chris Paul opts into his contract, he is going to be owed north of 43 or $44 million. Yeah. If he opts out and signs a three-year deal of around, let's say, $90 million, that's $30 million a year. Interestingly enough, the Suns will have a $13 million cap space wow. to operate within. Interesting. Um, there's also a, a lesser known rule in the NBA that, that states that players over a certain age can't sign 
right for a certain number of years so if you're 36 or 30 yeah if you're over 36 or if you're 36 years old you can't sign anything more than a three-year deal now there is a loophole i don't know if the phoenix suns are going to take advantage of that loophole but um, as it stands now i think the suns shouldn't overreact meaning a lot of teams they get really far in the playoffs and instead of assessing everything in a very calm cool collected manner they begin to react for example the 2012 oklahoma city thunder when they made it to the finals mm. they reacted instead of bringing back the core group right. of players they made a they made it what i believe to be the worst trade in nba history when they traded away james harden um for Kevin Martin and Jeremy Lamb and whatever other mm. picks they got. It was just a horrific acquisition. Um, I would say that the Suns should try their absolute best to bring back the exact same group of guys minus one or two. So, for example, bring on someone like Kelly Olenek, who does the exact same thing that Dario Saric does, but he has size. Or maybe bringing in someone like Nerlens Noel. Mm. Um, there are a couple of free agents available this offseason that I think may fly under the radar but would fit in perfectly within the Suns system. Now, the Suns just acquired Landry Shamit for Javon Carter. I believe that you know this acquisition is actually a, a major plus. It's a major Agreed. W for the Suns. Yep. Javon Carter was an extremely hard worker. But his skill set was very limited. Outside of playing defense and hitting three-pointers, what's referred to as a 3 and D player, if you forced him to dribble, his options were very limited. Mm. Landry Shamit isn't like that. You know, he can handle the ball, he can dribble, he can get to the rim, he can hit the mid-range. Um, but I would, I would say that the best move the Phoenix Suns can do is not change much. Isn't the... I mean... When I when I watched the playoffs, entire entirety of the playoffs, I saw, other than Devin Booker, who we knew was going to do what he did, and Chris Paul. To be honest, man, at 36 years of age, he had some duds in in some games, but at 36 years of age, doing what he did, amazingly impressive, right? Especially as an undersized point guard, he's not, he's barely like six foot. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. But um, Bridges, Bridges, right? Yes. Bridges is it Cam Johnson? Yes. And I think Aiden, man, I think if these guys, like, Aiden sh showed flashes, but even in games where he did really well statistically, I feel like they didn't really run offense through him. He was getting, like, putbacks or getting second chance opportunities. So I feel like if they continue to develop him, and, I mean, Cam Johnson showed poise, man, at times, like, very surprising for uh, how young he is, like, the poise he showed. And Bridges, man, like, that length. He's got that super crazy freakish length where he can just drive, pull up, jump stop, fade, and hit a shot. But I think running it back makes sense. I think uh, Shamit is a great addition. Now, I know you want or you're thinking Chris Paul is going to be brought back. But in the event that Chris Paul is not brought back. Well, first, let me ask you this. In terms of the development of those three players, like what do you say about that? Or do you agree that the, the continuation of their development could continue their success uh, of the Suns? <laughs> um, in regards, look, in regards to the development of all the young players the Phoenix Suns have, um, 
I believe that was a major plus of Chris Paul being on that team. Mm. When Chris Paul was signed, a lot of people said, you know, his age um, and his demeanor. So Chris Paul famously clashed with a lot of his teammates. He clashed with his teammates on the Clippers. He clashed with James Harden on the Rockets. Um, but I think what ended up happening is his one year in Oklahoma City sort of showed the kind of environment that the older Chris Paul would thrive in. Mm. Meaning, the Phoenix Suns bring in Chris Paul, who's 36 years old, to a Phoenix Suns team where everybody there is in their either early 20s or mid-20s. Right. You know, these there's, there's a 10-year difference. There's a 12-year difference. There's a 14-year difference between these players and Chris Paul. And so these young players, they don't see Chris Paul as someone closer in age to them like his teammates on the Clippers did, like right. his teammates on the Rockets did. They see him as an actual veteran mentor, mentor. teacher. Mm. They were willing to be coached. So when he gets on them and he's very hard on them, they listen, they absorb, they do what they're told. And that is the significant contributing factor in the massive leaps we've seen DeAndre Ayton take, Mikal Bridges, Cam Johnson, campaign of old people. Um, all these are are players who have made the jump because they see the star point guard of their team working hard, practicing, studying game film. And what are they doing in their free time? You know, they're Mikhail Bridges studying game film. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, game film. Cam Johnson, campaign, studying the game. What can we do? How can we improve? Um, what do I need to work on? And so... Interestingly enough, when we talk about, let's say, someone like DeAndre Ayton and the shadow that's sort of looming over him in, oh, the Suns picked him um, instead of Luka Doncic. Chris Paul coming to that team and going hard at DeAndre Ayton is the number one reason why when the playoffs started, you saw a DeAndre Ayton who was focused who was at times the Suns' most consistent player yep. and the Suns' best player, even with Devin Booker on that team. Devin Booker would have moments of absolute, you know, long stretches of brilliance, but moments where he'd have a bad game. DeAndre Ayton was consistent offensively and defensively. Um, and you could tell that when he went to the bench, this is where the Suns' weakness became apparent. When he went to the bench... The opposing teams would go on runs against the Phoenix Suns and so that's the importance that someone like Chris Paul brings in terms of his mentorship in addition to the fact that you know someone on the court who as things look like they're about to fall apart can tell everybody calm down let's just run our sets let's run our plays let's let's stay level-headed and calm and this is why I was a little frustrated at times because I felt like they should have been running more offense through Aiden than, than, than they were. It reminds me of like an earlier Kawhi where uh, the year he won the MVP, the finals MVP, they, they, at that point the Spurs were still not really running offense through him, right? Yes. He was the beneficiary of second chance opportunities or offense or just being open in the corner. But, um, and I feel like Aiden, which was very surprising, and I think it's because he's young and athletic, he still plays like an old school big man, right? Where And you don't really see that much anymore. So it, it was exciting to see 
a team still utilize a, a, a big man, uh, like in the tra traditional sense. Um, now, in the event, let's go back to the player personnel. In the event that Chris Paul doesn't resign or doesn't come back, but it, it looks like he will come back, especially since the Lakers picked up Russell Westbrook, who could be a replacement for Chris Paul? I know we got Derrick Rose who might be a free agent. You got Kyle Lowry who might be a free agent. We got the Lonzo Ball situation. So who are some, some players you think fit, on, fit with the Suns based on the system? Uh, the only one, the only player, the only free agent currently I would feel comfortable in saying could replace Chris Paul, albeit not fully, but would bring a lot to what he brings to the table, is Kyle Lowry. Uh, yeah. In addition to that, Kyle Lowry has the finals experience. Um, and so Kyle Lowry, if Chris Paul, and this is a big if because sitting here right now, I'm about 95, 99% sure he's going to resign. We'll hear about it in the next couple of days. Mm. But uh, in the event that he doesn't, um, Kyle Lowry is a much, much uh, coveted yep. option. Yep. Um, okay, now let's make it a little bit more general about the league and then we'll bring it back to the Suns. Based on what you've seen in the league in the recent days, Russell Westbrook signed with the Lakers, which at the surface level, I would say I didn't. I'm not. I'm not gonna say I disliked it, but I think it's great when LeBron is on the bench or when LeBron is injured that you have someone who's a consistent scorer. But with those guys on the floor to get together, I don't know how it really works because one guy likes playing fast, one guy likes playing slow. Um, but now there's a rumbling. I mean, it's been coming out for some time that DeMar DeRozan is interested in signing, but now he just came out recently saying that he'll take a nice pay cut to join them. Uh, Rudy Gay has said the same thing, and. There's one more individual that I'm forgetting. I don't know if, if it rings a bell for you or if you can remember. Oh, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo, yes. So what do you think about what the Lakers have done and what do you think about some of the other uh, happenings around the league? See, this is an interesting question because whenever you predict what's going to happen in the season, um, a lot can go right and a lot can go wrong. As it stands currently, I see this current move by the Lakers extremely similar to the one they made in 2012 when they acquired Dwight Howard and Steve Nash. Mm. Um, back then, everyone was like, oh, even though Steve Nash is old, he still brings a lot of experience. Yep. Dwight Howard is there. And we're talking about early Dwight Howard on Orlando, who was an absolute monster. Monster. Uh, people, don't, people sometimes forget how good Dwight Howard was. Um, and Kobe Bryant's. Well, what ends up happening is there wasn't a lot of chemistry that right. happened. Um, Steve Nash got hurt. Dwight Howard got hurt. And it forced Kobe Bryant to put the load on his back, which led to him eventually you know, hurting Achilles. his Achilles. Yep. Um, and so you're talking about a Lakers team in which their, you know, their main star player in LeBron James is, by his own words, not going to be 100% anymore. Um, you have Anthony Davis, whose nickname is Data Davis, <laughs> um, because he's day-to-day -day with injuries. Oh, man. And you have Russell Westbrook, who plays very hard, but when he's injured, he doesn't rest. He continues to play, yeah. which is admirable on one end, but on the other end, we've seen how it hurts his teams. Of course, yeah. Um, and so... One thing, it's a long season. It's 82 games. The, uh, the NBA said it's going to go back to the 
82 game format um, and when it's a long season you need players you can rely on to give your players a break see this is what made the Phoenix Suns this year so good it's because their GM was you know built the team to be able to to withstand injuries so you have a team where during the regular season you know they would just flat out play five bench players during the game while the five starters rested um and so you know by the time the playoffs started they had less wear and tear than any other team yep and so when other players start getting hurt and they start getting injured and people talk about well you know the Phoenix Suns got lucky. The Phoenix Suns didn't get lucky. They made their own luck. Because if you watch during the season, they weren't so interested in getting the number one seed as much as they were in developing their players. So let me give it this. A lot of people want, you know, during the regular season, the average fan wants their team to win every single game. But look, the problem is, in the end, you know, when you talk about the NBA, the number one seed historically underperforms mm. you know it's really not that common for a number one seed to go all the way and win the nba finals so you have let's say you know teams like the 2006 detroit pistons who you know got the number one seed in the nba and then lost to the miami heat yep they lost to a what i thought was a very weak heat team yep you have teams like the 2007 Dallas Mavericks. Mavericks, famous, yeah. Who got knocked out in the first round. Yep. Um, because they couldn't, you know, when, when push comes to, when push came to shove, the bench players were didn't have that regular season to develop themselves. And so outside of the starters, who was really going to bring the scoring load? Um, contrast that with teams like the Spurs where Greg Popovich would sometimes just rest his starters and let the bench take mm -hmm. on. And so when the playoffs rolled around, you had these players coming off the Spurs bench whose names you really didn't know, but they were hitting shots. Roger Mason you Jr., know, Gary Neal. Jack Vaughn. Yeah, Jack, Jack Vaughn, yep. You know, people, you know, let's say the Spurs had a five-point lead, the bench would come in, and instead of that lead becoming a deficit or that lead shrinking to, let's say, one or two points that lead would either stay at five points or would increase to nine points. Do you remember that famous regular season game? I don't know if it was in the 2012 or 20. I think it was in the 2013 season, the first year they made it back to the finals. They met the Heat, and this is the first time they were meeting like this, you know, this new Heat. It might not have been 2013 then. But it was, uh, I think, Parker out, Ginobili out, and Duncan out. And then the, Sp the, the Spurs beat them. You're talking a really old game. You're talking yeah. about six, seven years ago. Yeah, but this is like I remember it was big because the Miami Heat were at full strength. Yeah, Popovich threw the bench out there, and they they ran the court on them. The bench, the bench ran the plays. The bench mm. knew what to do, um, and so that's what the Phoenix Suns did throughout the regular season. You'd have the five starters playing, and then you'd have the coach take out the five starters, put in five bench players, and they would play for stretches. Sometimes things would get tough. And the coach would leave them out there. So when the playoffs came around, the average NBA fan was like, how, how did the Phoenix Suns get so good? Um, number one, their starters don't play that many minutes. Oftentimes, if the game doesn't go into overtime, they won't play more than 30 minutes. Mm. So they were fresh. 
number one. Number two, the bench players knew what their role was when they came in. They knew what place to run. They knew what to do. They knew how to act. Um, and that was the deciding factor in why the Phoenix Suns, number one, stayed healthy and why, number two, they were able to go as far as they did. It's funny because just random thought you were mentioning Dwight Howard earlier when referencing like the 2012 Lakers. But when I look at Giannis, I look at, again, I'm not comparing the game, but what was interesting about Dwight is he didn't have many post moves. Yeah. But he was strong, he was athletic, and he was very good at what he did, right? Playing defense, grabbing boards, going like straight up, putting uh, tip bat, t- uh, tipping the ball back in. And with Giannis, I feel like similarly, he doesn't have many post moves. But I feel like he should learn a lesson from like the case of Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was very dominant for a stretch of a certain amount of years. And I remember even when like the Spurs would have to face the Magic, the Magic would win or it'd be a very close uh, matchup. So I think with uh, a guy like Giannis, just I was randomly remembering this, like if he adds more to his arsenal, I feel like he could really become like one of the best or one of the most dominant. But I'll just remember that because I don't really feel... That's why I'm a little bit disappointed, man. I really, really felt like I really wanted... Uh, I mean, nobody wants it more than you do, but, you know, even though uh, as a Spurs fan, we've gone against Chris Paul many times, and for the most part, we've beaten him, but I, I wanted this for Chris Paul, man, you know? As a 36-year-old leader, point guard, someone who's received a lot of hate in the league, rightfully so at times, but I, I really wanted this for him. I wanted this for Monty Williams, obviously, from the Spurs family, and then uh, for, for Booker, so. Look, <laughs> um when we went up 2-0 against the Milwaukee Bucks, I pretty much thought, <laughs> I was like, okay, I really hope the Suns lose a game. So we win it at home. So that we can win it at home. <laughs> That's what I was telling people. Um, I don't want it to come off as if I was underestimating this Milwaukee Bucks team. I have, you know, one thing I was boasting about is back in 2018, I predicted that the Suns would win a championship in 2021. Mm. Um, I started showing people like my old social media posts. Mm. And then early in the playoffs, someone asked me, who do you think is going to be in the finals? And I said, it's going to be Phoenix and Milwaukee. Because mm. Milwaukee had that gritness. They had that toughness. Mm. They had that desire. The reason I was confident against Milwaukee is because we have, throughout the years, even when we were bad, we still beat them because we matched up really well with them. Mm. Um but what ended up happening is, look, they, they were the better team. And yes, I'm really upset that we lost. But if it had to be to anyone, I'm glad it was to a team like the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, look, I, during the Steve Nash era, the Suns would lose and it would bother me for the longest time because of the fact that the teams that we lost to, I considered them just evil, right? You had the Spurs led by Bruce Bowen mm-hmm. and Mono Ginobili's flopping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 2005, we lose to the Spurs. I hate it because I really hate the San Antonio Spurs. 2006, we lose to the Dallas Mavericks because, you know, we're injured and I really hated Mark Cuban. I still kind of do, but that's a different story. 2007, we lose because of the suspensions in Game 5 after Robert Ory's hip check. Um, 2008, Tim Duncan hits a three-pointer. And at this point, I'm like, oh my God. I re- like, These losses would eat me up the entire summer. 
until the next season started. And then 2010, we lose to the Lakers, and I hate, you know, I hate. But you beat the Spurs, at least. I hate, you see, I, we did. And that's, I guess, part of, you know, uh, I guess, exercising my demons. Um, but we lose to the Lakers, and I really hate, you know, I hate Los Angeles, I hate Lakers fans, I hate anything Southern California related. I really do. The only exception is probably San Diego. But So, losing to this Milwaukee Bucks team, you have someone like Giannis and the journey he's been through. Right. You have someone like Drew Holiday and the adversity he's been through. Even Chris Middleton, I mean. Chris Middleton. Classic. You know, everyone on that team is actually very likable. Yeah. Um, and so, it you know, it, I was really upset that we lost, but at least it was like to a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, who, by the way, received a lot of grief politically and from the sports community um, in 2020 when they lost to the Miami Heat. So what happened is in the first round, they said, we're going to boycott this playoff game because of a police shooting that happened. Um, and they said, we're not going to play game five. And I remember it was big news and it was like Milwaukee Bucks refused to play. And of course, Republicans came out with the whole shut up and dribble rhetoric. And then when they lost in the second round to the Miami Heat, you know, they were made fun of, they were mm -hmm. mocked. Um, then the 2021 playoffs came and, and people forget that, you know, the same NBA community that is now saying, we love the Bucks, really made fun of them when they lost, you know, to uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Remember game five, Giannis had Harden in the post and he couldn't get him back down. So he shot a turnaround jumper. And uh, I remember we were like, why would he, like, you have, like, you failed your team. They received a lot of grief. Mm. They received a lot of grief when they lost to the Hawks. Um, and so to see them win and overcome all of that is actually, you know, a really good feeling. And, and look, if I'm being honest with you, um, I don't know if I, we will see the Milwaukee Bucks back in the NBA Finals. If the, new, if the Brooklyn Nets are healthy. Agreed. If the Nets are fully healthy and in full health, I think they come out of the East. Which is partly why I'm glad that someone like Giannis, who got drafted into a small market team, he got one. stayed with a small yep. market team, signed a long-term contract extension, and won it with a small market team. Number one, without forming a super team. And number two, um, because he persevered and worked hard. And um, stuck it to sort of the, the, the mainstream NBA media narrative that, all, that are always trying to get stars to go to places like New York or Los Angeles or Miami and whatnot. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said to a lot of people when they asked me before the finals started, like people were bummed that the teams were. I said, no, man, if, if you're a basketball fan, like you're excited about this finals because this is like you're going to see basketball. You're going to see half court off, you know, on, on the side of the Suns. You're going to see a maestro setting up the offense. You're going to see, on the offensive side, Kobe's heir apparent, you know, in, in some ways a better shooter, in my opinion, in Devin Booker. Uh, and then on the Bucks side, like, how could you not root or how could you not fall in love with that story, right? Mm -hmm. Even when a quiet guy like Chris Middleton, who is, you know, there's this debate that's been going on for the last couple of weeks. Who's the, like, who's the Batman? Who's the Robin? Who's the best first? Who's the closer? Sometimes silly arguments. But again, a, a nice, balanced team, right? They had some goons on the team in a good way they got... P.J. Tucker, and they got a Bobby Portis. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm some, you know, got some enforcer-type individuals on the team. Um, now, let's go from, because obviously we, we, we lived this. So thank you for, thank you for sharing uh, your, your last month or so of, of, of your life in terms of 
going through the sun's loss. Now let's go from the kettle straight into the fire. Uh, no, I'm sorry, from the pan straight into the fire. And let's talk about some of those old uh, Spurs and Suns rivalries. So you brought up uh, 2005. Uh, you brought up 2007. You brought up 2010. And I want to say they faced off once more. Did they face off in 08 or 09? 08. 08. Okay. That was the year that game one, Suns and Spurs, Tim Duncan hit the three-pointer to tie it. Oh, that's 08. And oh, Okay, so 05, I think this is like... Manu Ginobili went off a couple games. I remember like 48 points or something. Do you, do you remember? So, okay, we're going to take it back to, let's say, 2003. Okay. Right? Amari is a rookie. Yep. Um, I had just started following the Phoenix Suns that year. Do they have Stefan? Who, who, Stefan Marbury Joe was Johnson. a point guard. Okay. Um, and so, you know, they meet in the playoffs. Game one, Stefan Marbury grabs the rebound. The Suns are down two. He runs down the court and just throws up a three-pointer, and it goes in. Um, and we went like crazy. Oh, my God. I remember I was visiting family in Jordan. It was really hard to, like, check the game. Um, so 2003, the Spurs beat the Suns in six games. The Suns were the eighth seed. The Spurs were the number one seed. Wasn't that big of a deal. Right. It was expected. 2005, the Suns have the number one record in the NBA. And again, this goes back to the, to the philosophy of developing players. Mike D'Antoni, during that time, during the regular season, would only play eight players. Seven or eight, yeah, eight players usually. That's something you do in the playoffs. Yep. You don't do that in the regular season because you don't want to exhaust your, your yep. guys. But Mike D'Antoni has a very short leash. Um, and so we get the number one seed. You know, we beat, we beat the Memphis Grizzlies. We beat the Dallas Mavericks. However, during that Mavericks series, Joe Johnson, a very, very, very important component of yep. the Phoenix Suns, a shooter, a scorer, a defensive, you know, player, you know, gets hurt, injures, his, injures the bone right underneath his eye socket. Yep. Um, we beat the Mavericks, and now we're facing the Spurs. And... A lineup that's already, you know, been eight or seven players is now down to six. Yep. And, you know, we lose game one, we lose game two, we lose game three. We win game four, we lose game five. It was a really disappointing loss because on one hand, people were like, the Spurs are obviously the better team. Maybe that was true. I don't know. Um, but I would have liked to see a full-strength Phoenix Suns Versus that San Antonio Spurs team. Um, 2007. 2007 is, I think, something that bothers me to this day. <laughs> to this day. Like, it just bothers me that. So, <laughs> um, the Suns meet the Spurs in the second round. It's a close first game. It's a game played. It's a really close game. Steve Nash butts heads with Tony Parker. Yep. Cuts himself up. And out of that exchange, Steve Nash is the one who gets cut. He has a bloody nose. And um, the training staff can't fix it. And the, yep. In the NBA, you have a rule. If there's going to be blood flowing and it spills on your uniform or anything, you can't play. You have to sit out. Yep. And so the Suns lose game one. The Suns win game two. Game three was officiated by a referee called Tim Donahue. Tim Donahue was someone who later that summer 
was arrested by the FBI for rigging games. So what happened is that mobsters would bet on games and Tim Donahue would make sure that the bets they placed would be profitable. And he himself would bet on games and he would make sure that the bets he placed were profitable. And if anyone wants to um, find out the full story, there's a podcast, seven, a seven-part podcast episode called Whistleblower mm. that goes into depth. It talks about how, you know, they interviewed the FBI agent who was in charge of the investigation. And they asked him, you know, would you do things differently this year? And he said, yes. He goes, I wouldn't tell David Stern, the NBA commissioner, that we were investigating a referee. Because mm. he says, we went there and we, as a courtesy, we told him, look, we're investigating Tim Donahue. We caught him, but we're going to have him wear a wire to find out which other referees are betting on games. Mm. And... He says a week later, someone quote unquote leaked the story to the press and our investigation was ruined. All we could get was Tim Donahue. Just that one ref. Um, anyway, game three was officiated by Tim Donahue. Game four, it looked like the Suns were going to lose, but they pull it out and they tie the series 2-2. But towards the end of the game, Steve Nash gets knocked by a Spurs player into the scorer's table intentionally. <laughs> and two NBA players leave the bench. Now, in the NBA, there's a rule because of... There's a rule that says if if during a altercation, the bench players leave the bench area, they are suspended. Why? Because in 2004... Malice in the Palace? Malice in the Palace. That's, the that's, Detroit Pistons and the Indiana Pacers where players... Someone threw a cup at one of the players, yep. and that player ran into the stands, and his teammates followed, and they started beating up fans. And mm. then the fans ran on the court, and they were fist fighting with the players, and it was just crazy. I can't wait for the Netflix oh, series I was, on I was just going to say. But the full and, video can be found on YouTube. Just and, click. And side note, I really think that if that took... What I'm most upset about, and I, I feel like it's not gotten enough media coverage since it's happened, people talk about it, but they talk about the craziness of it. For me, the craziness of it is... The aftermath. That not only the aftermath, the 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 Pacers, you got Jamal Tinsley, you got Steven Jackson, you got Ron Artest, you got Jermaine O'Neal, you got uh, Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller on the bench, but he was still injured at the time. And you have Jeff Foster, but Jeff Foster was a good defensive big man. He was very good on the offensive boards. They had a very good team. I feel like that year that was going to be Pacers, uh, Spurs in the finals. Yeah. So that's what people don't talk about enough. They talk about just the craziness of it. But go ahead. I, we, we digress a little bit. That was Reggie Miller's last year, by the way. That was his last, his last year. season. And that's the worst part of it. That's what that's, Bronner Test says that was his biggest regret because Reggie Miller didn't tell anyone that was going to be his last season. Mm. He said he was going to wait till the halfway point of the year. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, end of game four. Two crucial Suns players are suspended. Suns lose game five by three points, then they lose game six. We go into the summer really angry because the suspensions just didn't make sense. Like, yeah, that's the that's the you know rule of law, but sometimes you know rules are just dumb. Right. What made it worse is that the next year something happened, something similar happened with two other teams, and that rule was not enforced. And then they get yep, Celtics Hawks round one. Um, and was it the Celtics players that came off the bench? Yeah, Celtics players. Yeah. And that wasn't um, that rule wasn't enforced, which made us even angrier. 2008 comes along and by the way got the shack this now so 
I was never a fan of that Shaq trade. When it happened, I was very distraught, number one, because Sean Marion's my favorite player. Number two, it's because I felt like the Phoenix Suns were reacting. Remember what I said? Sometimes teams react. The Spurs lost in 2013. They brought the same team back, and they won convincingly in 2014. Actually, minus a couple players. Minus a couple and not, players. And not with the idea that they were upgrading. They just got rid of those players, right? Steven Jackson being one and Gary Neal being the other. Yeah. And Gary Neal was an important piece of their rotation. He wasn't part of the, the 14. He wasn't. Yeah, Steven Jackson got cut right before the 2013 yeah. finals. Yeah. Um, Spurs brought the same players back, same core group of players, and they won it convincingly in 2014. The Suns reacted. They, let, they traded away their best defensive player in Sean Marion for Shaquille O'Neal. And I hated that trade. I hated that trade so much. Was it a straight up trade? It was, it was you know, Sha- it was, you know. Um, it was the Heat, right? Yeah, it was with the Miami Heat. It was Sean Marion and another player named Marcus Banks for. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> for Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> and, you know, everybody was like, oh, wow, we have Shaq. And that excitement only grew because for the first time in a long time, we won the season series versus the Spurs. We played four times, we beat them three times. And we meet the Spurs in the first round, and the Suns look like they're in control. This Shaq trade is working. And then the Suns are up three, and the Spurs are trying to get a basket, and they pass it to Tim Duncan, who's wide open, and he hits a three-pointer. And at that point, when he hit that three-pointer, his first first three-pointer of the season, he's not a three-point shooter, I turned to my friend, I told him, I was like, this series is over. He's like, what do you mean? We're tied. We're going to go into double overtime. I said, this series is over. Like, there's, when something like this happens, and the Suns lose this game, because they're going to lose this game. You don't recover from this. You don't. And yeah, the Suns lost that year, 2008, to the Spurs. And I said, this Shaq trade was a mistake. The Suns missed the playoffs in 2009. They get rid of Shaq because they admit that the trade didn't work. And, and uh, yeah. I, look, I think, okay, so let's, let's, let's unpack this one at a time. When I remember, so I've always been a fan of Steve Nash. Love Steve Nash. Love the way, talking about a real point guard with court vision, somebody who is, not, who is fast and quick, but not athletically like he's not the same level of athlete as a lot of the guys in the NBA but in terms of his level of mastery on the offensive side in terms of setting up players I fundamentally believe when it comes to Quinton Richardson and Jason Richardson but both guys were on the Suns right at one point not at the same time but, not yeah. a, but I'm saying at one point right. yeah. uh, Boris Dia who I love who's a high IQ older Grant Hill Rajab all these different guys who he got a lot of these guys paid man because a lot of these guys, especially uh, Q Rich, all he had to do was, put, like, when you're talking about 3 and D, that's really what he had to do. But when you have this type of guy setting up the, the offense. Now, when I saw Amari Stoudemire coming up, it, it put fear in me, right? I'll be very honest, because there's not many players that scare you. Shaq was a guy that used to scare me when he was in his prime, when he was the diesel, right? Um, and that, that fear came, up, came back a little bit in 08, because... Even though he has slowed down, you just you just remember the old days, right? Where where the diesel was the diesel, and with Amari, he was just so damn athletic, man. He was quick. 
He was athletic. He could explode. And the way him and Steve Nash ran that pick and roll. Now, I remember, I, I don't know what year this was, but then he started learning how to shoot the ball. Yeah. Pick and pop, right? That was because of, okay, so. Was that the injury? 2005, yeah. Amari Stoudemire averages 37 points per game. Yep. Against the Spurs with Tim Duncan being the one who's defending and him. And still arguably one of the best interior defenders ever and of that time. You're talking about 2005 Tim Duncan. Yeah, yeah. still prime. And everyone's like, who? 37 points per game yep. against Tim Duncan is just insane, right? Even in today's high-scoring NBA, that's still an insane uh, in average. In today's game, that's probably like 40-something points a game, right? I think it's more because you're talking yeah. 2005. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... 2006, Amari misses the entire season because yep. of surgery. Yep. Microfracture, I believe. And so even when he's able to use his knee and whatnot, they still say, we're going to sit you out. They had him come back for three games. They're like, look, we're not comfortable with this. We're going to sit you for the rest of the season. So what he does is he starts working on his shooting. Now, Amari isn't, isn't as explosive as he used to be, but he's still very explosive. Yep. But now he has a jump shot. Now when you foul him, he hits his free throws. And... It's not strange to see, you know, a game where Amari has 42 points and 15 rebounds. And, oh my God, this guy is scary. Now, I'm now going to jump to 2010. Okay. Where the Suns get rid of Mike D'Antoni. Yep. And they bring in Mike D'Antoni. They brought another coach. It didn't work out. He was fired. Yeah. Mike D'Antoni's assistant comes, and he's a guy with a different mentality than Mike D'Antoni yep. Alvin Gentry says we need to use the bench yep. and infamously in the playoffs when player when coaches will only go to eight players Alvin Gentry would use ten players yep. and he wouldn't just use like well he's you know he doesn't just use them sparingly he uses them at the same time meaning he tells all five starters you're all coming out at the same time and I'm going to put in five bench players at the same time because these five bench players have been playing together the entire season. They're sort of their own team, and they're going to run a different kind of game. And it works exquisitely. We go up against a powerful Lakers team. And people just don't understand how, how powerful the 2009 Lakers oh, were. Buying them, Gasol, Artes, Odom. It's just, you're talking about an extremely powerful team, and we tie the series 2-2. And then we lose game five at the buzzer by two points. And we lose game six. And it's heartbreaking. But what happens, the Suns don't bring everyone back. Again, they shake it up. And we, have, we end up missing the playoffs for 10 years. For 10 years, we end up missing the playoffs. I told people, I was like, listen, before this playoff run, the last time the Phoenix Suns were in the playoffs, I did not have social media. I was still in college. I don't know how I'm going to behave right now, okay? I can't be held responsible for how, what I'm going to write, okay? If I start acting crazy, don't be like, Sagan Brothers, you know, I used to like your Islamic reminders. Can you please go back to that? No, no, no. You send me that message again, I'm going to block you. I'm in very uncharted territory right now. I have social media and my team is good. I'm going to become a crazy person. And become a crazy person, I did. Um, <laughs> but... For me, 2010, I'll, I'll be honest, 2010 hurt, man, because, okay, look, Alvin Gentry, I'm a big fan of Alvin Gentry, I love him, 
they get past the Spurs, and I remember like we the, swept the Spurs. The Spurs were like, and so, it wasn't close. Like, yeah. well, you, we you know, dominated them every single game, even when it felt like the Spurs were coming back. I didn't think we were ever going to lose a Goran, game. Goran, man, I feel like Gor- Goran was one of the biggest difference makers for for that Suns team. But why why was he able to perform like that in the playoffs? Mm. Because the coach trusts him. There's literally a clip because the Spurs drafted him. That's it. Because there's literally <laughs> a clip where the Phoenix Suns coach is telling him. Go out there, make mistakes. I don't care. If you make a mistake, I'm not going to pull you out of the game. I want you to go out there and learn how to play without fear. And do what? During the regular season, he'd make a lot of mistakes and would get really frustrated. Take him out, coach. Take him out. And Elvin Gentry would be like, nope. He's going to stay in. He's like, look, you're going to be playing 15 minutes a game. You're going to play these 15 minutes, even if you're making mistakes. It doesn't matter. The playoffs come, and this guy just... You know, against the Spurs, it's game three. We're down by 15, 18 points to the Spurs. And you're like, okay, it's their first home game of this round. They're going to win. And this guy just comes in and he just, with a flamethrower, just torches the entire Spurs team. And all of a sudden, I look and I was like, wait, how are we winning, how are we winning by this much? Like, what, what happened? And um, we sweep the Spurs. And we sweep... When we swept the Spurs, I was like, wow, we swept the Spurs. And they had all their players. But, but just as you're a Phoenix Suns fan, I have to be honest. Go like the it. weakest Spurs teams were 09 and 010. Those are the weakest Spurs teams from 2003 and onwards. It's funny. I thought the 2010 Spurs were underrated in that regard because that was the only year I felt George Hill performed excellently. You guys, were, had to, you guys beat the Lakers in the regular season. Yeah. You guys knocked out the Mavericks. You lost to the Mavericks by like 30 in the first game. And then you just killed them the rest of the way. Um, the underrated Spurs team is the 2011 team. Because they, I, I feel like they were, they were poised to make a run like they did in 2012 when they lost in the Western Conference Finals. Ginobili goes down with a hairline fracture in the elbow right before the playoffs. Tim Duncan, I don't know if he twisted his ankle. Something happened to him. And then they get bounced by the, the Grizzlies in the first one, right? But for me, that was the new Spurs. This is that, that whole beginning of the beautiful basketball movement, ball movement, player movement, etc. But for, again, to bring it back to the Suns, man, get past the Spurs. The Spurs, I remember just being super thankful. Like they were, they were very con- congratulatory and praiseworthy in terms of heaping praise towards Steve Nash. They all said he deserved it. Remember Steve? I don't know if you remember Steve Nash cried in the locker room afterwards. You remember that or no? Oh, he no, he cried in the locker room. I thought he cried in the locker room after the Lakers lost. So he, he, he cried and Alvin Gentry comforted him after the Lakers lost? Yeah, that was Lakers lost. But when they beat the Spurs, he cried like he, like it, like he let it out. I, I was just watching it today. So basically he said that like it, it was like, like nightmares for him, right? Because the Spurs were a nightmare. So he yeah. says now it just it came. <laughs> it, was, it was funny because he said it just happened in the corner. And then you see like video footage where he's in the corner, he's like bag has hurt everybody, and everybody, everybody's going there to like console him. But like Grant Hill, it was Grant Hill, it was Dudley was on the team. Grant Hill, a few others were just saying that like when he did this, Amari, they were like like we knew like how much it meant to him, and yeah, yeah. he had our back, we had his back. No, I mean Steve Nash is always a guy I respected man. Like I was saying with Amari, man, for me the in recent history, post uh, post post Grant Hill, Derrick Rose and Amari Stoudemire, in terms of. Guys who I feel like were going to be killers in the league for a, for a while, that it was cut short because of their injuries. And you look at Amari, you said, okay, he shot the ball, he was making free throws. It's not just that. 
when you start knocking down your shot consistently, people can't play back, right? Because now they're not just protecting the rim. They got to respect the shot. One pump fake, and you're, you're right at the rim. And the, how quick his first step was, how quick he could get elevate and throw it down. So we missed out, man, on Amari. Um, and, you know, uh, 20, 2007, you know, unfortunate for me. Like, again, I don't want to make it personal, but I always just thought Greg Popovich was a superior coach to Mike D'Antoni. And I felt that Mike D'Antoni's lack of focus on the defensive side, even though he's a maestro on the offensive side, it, like, it doesn't work in the playoffs, right? It, it, it works. Doesn't. It works for stretches, and it works against certain teams. But then people figure you out. And what would the Spurs always do? What did they do in 2003? What did they do in 2005? They said, we're going to let Steve Nash get his. Yeah. That was always a mindset. Let, try to let Steve Nash get his. Try to limit the facilitation. Now, 2008, I was a bit salty because, you know, they got Shaq. The Spurs wanted Grant Hill, and they had picked up Grant Hill. I think they picked him up maybe even the year before. But they wanted Grant Hill, and he chose to sign with the Suns. So I was a little worried, right? I was like, man, this is going to be an interesting series. But the Spurs handled business, which I enjoyed. And I felt like that Spurs team, just like you have your regrets. I mean, we have championships, but I feel like, okay, 06, if Manu doesn't fall uh, Dirk Nowitzki, they, they tear up that, that Miami Heat. Even though that Miami, Miami Heat team did great against the Mavericks, I think the Spurs destroy them, right? Not destroy them, but they beat them. Okay, 2008. We saw how much the Boston Celtics struggled on their way to the championship. What happens when they face a, a, a machine in terms of their structure and their organization like the Spurs in the finals? I think the Spurs beat them. Right, 2011 first round doesn't count. 2012, I personally think the referee was bogus in that series when they lost four in a row after winning the first two. Yeah, uh, that's probably one of the few series I thought that the refereeing sucked. Meaning that late into the decade, meaning like now we're talking about 2012, 2013, but earlier on, like you're talking about 2001 to like 2000 whatever, when obviously this game fixing was definitely going on. I mean, there's an infamous situation. I don't remember Kings and Lakers and. Uh, the refereeing, the officiating was terrible in that series. But there's that play where Kobe goes to get open. Do you remember? I remember that. And he like elbows or he punches like Mike Bibby in the face, and they call they call a foul on Mike Bibby. So I don't know, man. I'm happy. I'm happy uh, that the you know that the Suns made it back this year. I'm happy Steve Nash, while he didn't win the championship, you know he won one as an assistant coach with the Suns, and now he's a head coach. I think he's gonna win one with the Brooklyn Nets as long as they stay healthy. Um, yeah, man. But it was a it was a it was a great time, and so many. Great games between Suns and Spurs because it was contrasting styles of play, but it was good because early on, like 03, 05, it gave Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker chances to run, right? Yeah. And at that time, they didn't have many chances to run the, yeah. the, 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 the way they, would, they did. So it, they were a lot of fun series, man. Those are some of the most exciting, enjoyable series to watch. Yeah. Remember 05, Greg Popovich let his team run with, with the Suns and it. It really brought a whole new side to the Spurs that I think you didn't really get to see develop until 2013, right. 2014. Um, and look, what does the future hold? I don't know. Um, but, you know, you look at the 2013 Spurs team, they lose in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. They bring back the exact same team. They play the exact same opponent, and they beat them in five. With the same star. And then that same team comes back and they lose in the first round. So it's... The NBA is very fickle. It's a very fickle mistress. <laughs> I... You know, there's, there's, there's a narrative going on that, that, you know, the Suns will not be back in the NBA Finals. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. Mm. We don't know. Maybe the Suns will lose early next year, get knocked out in the first round or second round. Uh, 
who knows? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I'm still confident in this team. I'm still confident that if we remain healthy, we can beat anyone. Um, even though a lot of people tried to discount this current playoff run by the Suns by saying, oh, the teams they faced were injured and whatnot. Again, I go back to saying, look, we didn't get lucky. We created our own luck. We made sure that we had a deep bench. We made sure that we didn't pin all our hopes on someone whose nickname is Data Davis. We made sure that, um, you know, the players in their off time, you know, worked on their game. Um, and I think one thing special about the Phoenix Suns training staff is they don't wait until an injury happens before they start working on that muscle group. They practice something called preventative um, training, mm. which is where you're strengthening. Shaq, Shaq talks about it, by the way, where Shaq says, he goes, this training staff is the weirdest thing. He says... Um, I'm going to interrupt you. Like The Suns have been... It's been known since like the olden days, right? The Spurs days in 0305 that their staff is like... They can bring like revive old players. Yeah, it's funny because uh, Shaq had just come and was like, "I'll you know take a back seat," but then you know the Suns trainer is like, "No, no, I can fix him." And you see like an old Shaq dropping forty points. Yep. You're like, "What is happening here?" Yep. Um, and he talks about it. he goes their their methodology is different now. Granted, that same training staff is no longer with the Suns; they're now in New Orleans. Mm. But that philosophy remained. Mm. You know, the new training staff that comes in is like, "Hey." I need you to focus on something. We need you to focus on preventing. Best of luck, man. Uh, Suns are uh, definitely an exciting team to watch. Uh, Devin Booker, one of my favorite players right now. Loves it. Lo- love the way he plays offense. Love DeAndre, Aiden. Love Bridges. Love these guys on the team. So I think they have a bright future, man. I think maybe they're like one, potentially. Like Let's see how Shamit fit, fits in. I think they're like one solid, consistent player away from being like a legitimate contender for the next three to five years because they, ha- they almost have a complete team, right? I think while I like Jay Crowder, I think he's also an area where you can improve on in the sense that sometimes you're a little too small. Um, and, you know, with, with the Nuggets getting, if they get Murray back next year, you know, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, Kawhi might be out for most of the year with his partially torn ligament. So let's see, man. I mean, it's, it's an exciting team to watch. Definitely... League pass worthy in terms of if you want to follow a team. I say it's exciting to watch the, 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 the Suns. But Mr. 5%, thank you for your time. You're welcome. And uh, hope to have you back on soon, man. No, man, I appreciate it. So we'll, 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 we'll invite you on a lot more than we need you, and we'll hopefully get, <laughs> get, get a five, five, that 5% accommodation. Fantastic. Perfect. <laughs> um, Oh, boy, I'm going